In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about declaring godhood, sarcasm with a heart, and even more genocide. Oh, don't get excited about that. In our discussion of The Threat Below by Jason Latshaw. Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss The Threat Below by Jason Blatchall. Standard disclaimer, if you haven't read this book, book, fuck. Standard disclaimer, <laughs> if you... <laughs> Standard disclaimer, if you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book, then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. I'm sad that I said book. 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 It's not time for vampires, Amanda. Stop it. Got my fangs just on the shelf there. You can see them in the background. Wonderful. It's not time for that yet. It's not time for Are that yet. Are we saying this book needs vampire vampire hunters? Should we just well, get that know. out of this way now? Yeah, vampire vampire hunters make everything better. So, mm. I mean, why not? Why wouldn't you add vampire vampire hunters to everything? Exactly. It's fictional hangover law at this point. Yeah, it really is. It really and truly is. So, hey. Hey. This hey. this. Summary, I have a feeling, is going to be a fairly long one because the book is like 400 pages plus. Oh, no, it's it's more than 500, I think. It's a big one. It's a big one. I, I know you could concuss somebody with it. You could. You really could. And that's a point of pride. Yeah. 540 pages. It's a big one. So, yes, you could concuss somebody with it. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot that happens. So, um, let's go ahead and get into it. I yeah. got some background information, but I also just feel like we need to tell everyone to go and listen to the bonus episode because we got to talk to the author with this one. Um, so go and listen to that too. Ooh, double bonus. It was, there was a bonus episode last week and now there's a bonus episode this week. That's so much fun when that happens. We treat our listeners so well. We really do. We really, really do. Okay, so the background info that I pulled is from theyashelf.com and... Jason Latshaw is asked about YA books that influenced his writing. And he lists The Giver and The Hunger Games and Eleanor and Park and The Lovely Bones and like John Green books. He goes on to say that he thinks that YA books are good. They give young adults and adults alike a context where they can contain and understand their huge emotions. And then he says, I actually suspect that all adults are still stuffed full of YA feelings. We've just gotten better at masking and muting and ignoring those very real passions that still dictate and control our actions and reactions, but they're still there. That's why I think so many older adults devour the YA genre. It's still us. The differences are overblown, if we're honest. So I like that, right? Yes. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. I mean, we often say that we're 12 years old on the inside, but that's just because we, like, make poop jokes and talk <laughs> about boobs and stuff. But this is, you Always. know, a, this is a more elegant way of saying basically that exact same thing. I feel like we need to, like, shout fart at the end or something. 
Yeah. <sighs> so Just to bring our, it back down to our level. Yeah, Sorry. Bring, yeah, bring it back down to our level. <laughs> Now we just need, damn you boobs. Damn you boobs. <laughs> Sorry, so, okay. I'm back in the room. Um, I'm back. Back. Come back in the room. Um, so our initial thoughts with this one, I feel like, are probably going to be pretty similar because yeah. we didn't we didn't know about this book. We were, Jason Latshaw contacted us and was like, hey, I like what you do. I think I'd be a really good fit. Like, my book is, you know, full of sarcasm and monsters. I think I'd be a really good fit. And we were like, you know what? You're right. And so he sent us the books. Join us. And we read Join them. And we, us. we worked him into the schedule. I mean, mm-hmm. you, really can't, you really can't go wrong with sarcasm and monsters. No. 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 Not at all. I was going to say lovable assholes as well. Mm. Yeah, you need not you in need this to book, throw a but you know, if you've there, got so. a book, if you've written the book with a lovable asshole in, that's why. Yeah, get in touch. Yeah, really. And this is also, this is you know his first book, um, and we are planning in the semi near future to do more stuff with indie authors. And, you know, this is this was kind of a good jumping off point for us because, you know, we said we we don't have a lot of time to work indie authors into the schedule where he contacted us months and months and months ago. And, you know, we and we were able to to work it in. So we're working on that now still with the new indie authors that are contacting us. So we're going to get there. And this was a good test. I think it was pretty great. We had a really nice interview. So. Yeah, it's worked out really, really well. Yeah. It's it's a shit. We have to plan ahead quite a lot because of really life do. and stuff. So yeah. it's a shame when you get contact a week beforehand and go, "Oh, I've got a book due next week." It's not enough time. Yeah. So, but we're yeah. at least sharing them more now too, which is which is very good. Yes, yes, I do enjoy our indie spotlight section. There's some good ones in there, and it's kind of like, ooh, can we work this one in? Ooh, should we do this yeah, one? I know. What ooh. are we going to work into the schedule? There's so yeah. many good ones. And we keep getting more we and more We give you time. guys the recommendations, and then we get them ourselves. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. So let's do this. Let's get started with this one. Iceland and Adirane, two 17-year-old best friends, are going down the mountain. This is forbidden, but Ad has something he wants to show Ice. It's a pile of nuts. Ooh. Wait, it's a pile of nuts with her name written on them? Ad has apparently been training squirrels from down the mountain to carry nut messages up to the top. Ice is getting nervous because they're not supposed to be this far down the mountain, nor are they supposed to be holding hands, since ice is a cognate, even if it is for support, and even if ice is secretly pleased that the two are touching. He's promised to Catalandi, something ice doesn't like at all. 
Nicholas, Ice's father and head cognate of Mountaintop, is worried about his wife, Margin. She's not doing well. As leader, it's Nicholas's job to make sure everything runs smoothly for Mountaintop, but he's also sometimes sneered at because of it. He decides to go to the water pump to get water from Ice, who should be working there today. But where is she? She's on the other side of the wall. (gasps) Ad goes hunting here all the time for ultra bears and ultra lions. Really violent sounding creatures. A lot of Veritas do, but this time it's bad. They find their friend, Jarvan, tied to a tree and hollowed out like a gourd. (gasps) Yikes. And then they hear what sounds like something or someone hunting them. They run. Maybe the threat below is real after all. Yikes, I hope it's not. It is. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Mount- the title of the book. It's real. <laughs> the end. Back on Mountaintop, Nicholas has been looking for ice and goes to her betrothed's house. Turns out all the time ice has said she's been spending with Torin is not true. Torin asks where Adoran is and hints that it's where ice will be too. Nicholas goes to Ad's house to speak with his father, but then Ice comes crashing into the door with a lie that she had been delivering water to the hunters. Nicholas knows, though. (laughs) He knows that she's been with Ad and he's trying to woo her. Well, that's not right at all. But at least Ice is off the hook for now for being on the other side of the wall. But what are they going to do about Jarvan? They can't tell anyone he's dead because then everyone would know they were on the other side of the wall. In a few days, everyone will realise he's missing and presumed dead. And then another family will be allowed to have a baby to take his place. That's good? Look, I don't know if everyone's picked up on it yet or not because we're just barely scratching the surface here. But where these people live... It's not great. No. Not great at all. Not at all. Anyway, we can't worry about Jarvan right now because Margin is getting worse. It turns out that she is sick from drinking so much water from water pump. The water that comes from below is poisoned. Oh, no. And to make things worse... Terrain wants to make a formal accusation of Adorane. Even though Iceland doesn't seem to care for Terrain at all, he's still upset that his intended is interested in someone else. Luckily, Ice finds Ad making out with Catalandi. <laughs> Wait, that's not good. You don't want to see the person that you really, really like making out with someone else. You don't, you don't want to see that. And also, you know what else? People don't do that anymore. At least, it's it's fine. It's kind of okay because Terrain decides not to accuse Ad of trying to woo Ice. If he had, Ad would have been dispersed and sent over the wall, which is pretty much a death sentence. Dispersed sounds so gruesome, doesn't it? Right. Ah, 
Yikes, I do not want to live here. Nicholas calls a meeting to tell everyone in Mountaintop the water is poisoned. That doesn't go well. No. No. Tranton, Nicholas's advisor, seems to be undermining Nicholas. Oh, it's always the advisor, isn't it? Never trust the advisors. They declare that they must ration the rainwater, the small reserve they have to drink during winter, which, of course, causes panic. To disperse the crowd, Tranton declares on Nicholas's behalf that if the crowd doesn't leave the rainwater alone right this minute, anyone left will be forced to go down below. Ice thinks this is ridiculous and that people are just scared and need more information from their head cognate. So she stays. And of course, because Tranton is not a good person, he wants to make an example of Iceland and says she must be sent below. Asshole. Never trust the advisors. We've all watched Aladdin. Terrain convinces Nicholas and Tranton that Adirane should go down below in place of ice. She was trampled a little bit at the poison water meeting, so she's a little bit out of it and gets locked in her room when she tries to protest. Terrain breaks her out later, and it seems like they might be getting along, but it's fake? Maybe? Ice leaves him just when he thought they were getting along. Oh, so, yeah, it was fake. The whole thing. Fake. Ice sneaks through the town and comes to her teacher, Belbus's house, and finds it in a shambles. Then she goes to Ad's house, where she sees her mother and several other Veritas singing, which isn't done anymore since the before times. The a priori, which everyone calls the people that came before, used to sing a lot. Around a weird wooden X thing. They're singing mm. about God, but religion isn't real and it's forbidden. She can't deal with these dull-minded Veritas singing to a god. Then she realises that she needs to get over the wall to find Ad because she decides she has nothing left in Mountaintop now. Her parents locked her up like a prisoner. Her father basically has no spine. Her tutor is missing and her intended is a wiener. Her best friend has been sent below because of her to find clean water. She's got to go too. Wiener. He's a he's such a wiener. There is no other word to describe terrain at this point. He's the most perfect word. The only thing that can make it better is if it was wiener bag. I know. I think I like just the wiener. Yeah. Just wiener bag is too special. Exactly. He's too basic to be anything other than just a wiener. Yeah, he's a wiener. He's a big time wiener. Okay, so whatever. Ice is going past the wall. That's where we are. Cool. And at the same time, Nicholas and Margin argue about their missing daughter. And then Tranton and the Tarlinius, which are the police types, they go to Terrain's house. He's inconsolable about Ice fake liking him, and his parents refuse to let Tranton and, you know, his cohort in. But then... They come in anyway and shoot Terrain's mother. What? Where did they get guns? Those aren't a thing anymore. Tranton discovered them in a labyrinth-like cave down below. 
He also found a library with scrolls of information, leading him to believe that he should be the leader of Mountaintop. Just like Nicholas, it's in his blood. But he's not a Baratheus. He's related to the original Baratheus's wife. Ooh, yeah, that don't mean anything, guy. <laughs> You're the worst. Ice is on the other side of the wall and finds Jarvan again. She, thinking very highly of herself, says some cognate words over his body, then walks on. After a bit, she starts to get thirsty because she didn't think to bring water with her. She keeps going, but gets so thirsty that she decides to eat leaves and slugs. No. Then she passes out. <laughs> and then she passes out outside the labyrinth. Meanwhile, Torin gets sent off without fanfare to rescue his intended because that's what you're supposed to do when you're promised to someone, even if that someone pretty much hits your guts out. He obviously resents Ice now, but vows to find her and fix the water problem so he can be a hero. Speaking of heroes, the crew that has actually been sent to Below to fix the water problem, led by Ad and his father, are sharpening spears and singing to prepare for an inevitable fight with the creatures down below. They are about to enter Cloudbank, which is the line between Mountaintop and Below. It's so foggy, no one can see, and it's full of monsters, so it's not a good place to be. Not even Here a little be bit. monsters. <laughs> Ice wakes up to a kind woman keeping her safe in the labyrinth, which actually turns out to be old mines. And the woman calls her a rejected, and she's complaining about how those up top are so terrible for sending people outside to die. The old woman offers Ice water and takes care of her. Hey, wait, there's water in the mines? That's important. Oh. That's why we're all down below. There's water. There's water here. It's it's not enough, though. It's a small spring. It's barely enough for the people in the mines. Not even close to enough for those on mountaintop. But still, it's water. It's important. Ice is taken to the beloved leader of the mine folk and is shocked to discover that it's Belubus, her tutor. <laughs> No one wants her to leave, fearing that she'll tell her father, or worse, Tranton, that they exist. She plans to trick Belubus into letting her outside, but of course he realizes her plot and lets her go. She continues on, looking for Ad, but then she realizes she's being hunted. <gasps> While Ice is in the mines, her father is manipulated more by Tranton, and her mother, now that she's feeling better and is no longer poisoned, wants him to be fired. He has a store of guns, but didn't send any down below. Everyone knows he's the worst. Terrain tromps down the mountain, half-heartedly looking for Ad and for Ice. Then he realises he's being hunted. He runs and hides in a cave. Ice finds Terrain a little while later, but the cave he's in isn't a regular cave. It's got machinery inside that seems to be assisting if not downright producing, the clouds from Cloudbank. Terrain gives a clearly rehearsed speech about how he didn't mean a pebble to ice, so why should he care about her now? And it's embarrassing for everyone. He leaves her in the cave 
but she goes after and gives him food. Then they are chased by a threat below. It has sparkling blue eyes and red and black cloaking its face. It sometimes stands on two feet and is covered with grizzled fur and surrounded by flies. Ice punches it in the stomach, and it looks at her dejectedly and leaves. What? What even is this? A short time later, Iceland and Terrain find Adoran and the crew by following their singing. Ugh, stupid Veritas. Ad sees Ice's blue eyes in the woods and fears she's a threat below. But no, she's just Ice. Ad's father makes him take Ice and Terrain back to Mountaintop instead of going through Cloudbank. He refuses to let these children go down below to get killed, which makes Ad furious. He and Ice leave the next morning without Terrain. They really can't stand the guy. Ad's father and the rest of the crew go through the fog and die violently, horrifically, one by one. Unfortunately, Ice and Ad find them later. And it's horrendously sad. Oh my gosh, that was... That scene was so cinematic. Like... Just imagine you're completely surrounded by fog and people just are getting plucked away one by one, dead. Yeah. Yikes. This this entire book is very cinematic in feeling. It really is. Terrain, now on his own, goes back to the cave and tinkers with the fog machines. He realizes he can trap water from the machines. That's fresh water. He might be the hero of Mountaintop. While he's figuring that out, Ad slays an ultra bear. Remember the super Mm. violent sounding creatures that the Veritas valiantly hunt, which turns out to be a raccoon. (laughs) 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 And this is my favorite part of the entire book. It's a raccoon. An ultra lions? Those are lynxes. Those are tiny, tiny little cats and tiny raccoons. Why does everyone in Mountaintop think it's impressive to slay a raccoon? Honestly. Really? Really? They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on anywhere else. They're completely clueless. Mm. Later, Ad tells Ice that he... A lowly, dull-witted Veritas took the cognate test and scored higher than ice. <laughs> How could that be, though? Veritas is stupid and clearly only good for manual labour, like slaying terrifying, violent raccoons. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible, I tell you. They argue, <laughs> but then change topics and talk about what they want to see down below. Ad says weapons, you know, for raccoon slaying. But really, he wants to see landforms other than the top of mountains. They joke a lot and see a lot of animals they've never seen before, but are always careful to hide when they hear a sound. Much like Ad being smart and not only there for muscle, Ice wants a spear to help protect them from the threat below. If Ad can be strong and smart, Ice can be smart and strong. Really? Is that allowed? Not on the mountaintop. But they're not on the mountaintop anymore, are they? 
No, not currently. They're not. Speaking of, back on Mountaintop, Margen wants everyone to have weapons, not just the Tarlinius. So, she and Nicholas sneakily distribute them. Ice, meanwhile, never wants to go back to Mountaintop. She loves exploring down below. She and Ad come across a cabin with music playing. Recorded music? Whoever heard of such a thing? It must be at least 300 years old, something left by the a priori before the world was destroyed by the threat belows. Back on Mountaintop, Tranton finds out about the guns and uses everyone having them to further his agenda by making Nicholas look weak and stupid. Someone dies oh, as a result of gun misuse, and then Tranton, to make things worse, gives a gun to a 12-year-old to protect his mother now that his father is dead, which is definitely results in that 12-year-old killing the man who killed his father. <sighs> I'm pausing for the anger to just give everybody a moment. Just take, just take a moment to, like... Take in this brilliant plan. It's really great. Right, okay. Nicholas tries to protect the boy, Ishtok, by hiding the gun. He tells him not to tell anyone anything that happened because without any real evidence, you can't stone him to death. (laughs) That entire paragraph is terrible. Look, all mountain horrible. Mountaintop is the worst. I do not want to go on a mountaintop. <laughs> Mm-mm, it's the worst. It's not on my bucket list. No. Waffle House is. Yes, of course. The Waffle House is is a good house that you can go to. In the house that Ice and Ad found, there are all sorts of a priori artifacts. Some Ice knows about and some she doesn't. Ad knows most of the others, but then they realize that something's in the corner watching them. Wait, no, it's just cloaks. <laughs> Woo! Giant, oh, giant fur cloaks with animal heads. Then they realize that the record has stopped playing and someone mm. else is in the cabin. They hide under the giant cloaks as the creatures eat dinner and go to sleep. Ice is drawn to them, almost attracted to them, but Ad keeps her from getting too close. She can almost understand what they're saying, but all Ad hears is grunts. It's because he's a stupid Veritas. (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. He scored higher than her by one whole I know. point. I know. He's smart. He's not He's not a stupid Veritas. They manage to escape and continue on to find the source of the water that leads to water pump. When they arrive, they stake it out, sure that they will spot what is poisoning the water. And they do. They see three they giant do. threat belows dump something from barrels into the river. So the threat below is actually poisoning the water. Yikes. Yeah. It's real. The threat below is real. It's a threat, and it's below them. And it's real. It is. Aptly named. Yikes. Yes, very, like, appropriately named. (laughs) Okay, so now 
there's a brief chapter here from the point of view of one of the threat belows. This is rare. This doesn't happen very often. There's a lot of chapters, and like two of them are from one of, uh, from their points of view. So this one, he's a threat below, but he and others like him refer to themselves as the Crothus. His name is Amparus. He felt something draw him to the valley. But what? Something that makes him feel at peace. The Crothus feels a change coming to the valley and can smell that something is happening. So he runs through the town, the remnants of an a priori neighborhood, it seems, gathering up the others. Oh God, there's more! While Ice and Ad watch the threat below's poisoning the water, Terrain stumbles through, having just studied the water wheel that sends the water up the mountain. He's sure he's going to solve the poison issue, but then he literally walks right into the three threat belows. <laughs> they start to attack, and Ad runs down to attack too, so Terrain runs away. Ice doesn't want to watch Ad die, so she joins him. As the threat belows are about to kill them, another, smaller one runs up bellows and attacks. She kills or runs off the beasts. But what's going to happen now with Ice and Ad? Yikes. Don't worry. They're not eaten. They're protected by this small threat below, who seems to be very taken with Ice. So much so that she speaks. Ice can understand her perfectly, but Ad only hears barks and chirps. Weird. The threat below takes off her cloak and says her name is Avashone. She's beautiful, nearly twice the size of Iceland. Avashone tells Ice that she's so happy she finally came for her and says that she gave her everything. Uh, what? Ice has no idea what Avashone is talking about. Avashone leads them to deep water, a drowned city, where Ice will be able to get the answers to all her questions. Though Avashone just thinks she's joking when she asks anything. Surely she knows everything. They stop at the cabin where Ice and Ad hid under the cloaks. That is Avashone and her father's house. But her father has been gutted like Jarvan, and a message is on the wall. Not to go against your own kind and to kill those from above. Well, Avashone is not going to do that. They bury her father, but Ad is really unsure of everything that's going on. He can't understand Avashone at all, so he doesn't trust her. On mountaintop, Nicholas and Margin pretty much hate each other over the loss of Ice and Nicholas's poor leadership. The boy, Ishtok, is now free because Tranton could find no evidence that he murdered the man who killed his father. But his mother was so distraught, she hanged herself. Nicholas tries to take the boy in, but Margin won't have it. You already have a child. Or has he forgotten? Mountaintop is horrific. Yeah. It's terrible. Yes. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Terrain, 
after fleeing the threat belows and essentially leaving Ad to die, ran off to an abandoned neighborhood and is now searching through houses for supplies and machines. He sees a lot of a priori stuff, but is taken with a television. It's really cute. He carries it off, but it's very heavy, and he falls through the floor and is attacked by a bear. A raccoon? No, it's a real bear. It's a real bear this time. Oh, snap. Yeah, yikes. But using a hatchet he found, he slaughters the bear and takes its skin as a cloak. He just got... He just went from, like, wiener to badass in zero time. I hope he cleaned the skin properly, because otherwise it's going to be a bit icky and smelly. Yeah, yikes. You need to tan that hide. I have concerns. Now he's determined to find Ice and Ad and help them, even if Ice hates him. As he's searching back by the water source, he sees more threat billows. Close to a thousand Whoa. Gathered and waiting in line like an army. He's got to find Ad and Ice. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Nicholas is still struggling but makes plans to get rid of all the guns. The Veritas are on board, led by Ad's mom, and even some of the Terilius are too. When they met up with the plans to throw all the guns off the side of the mountain... Of course, Tranton is there. And now Nicholas is seen as an even weaker leader. Margin and Ishtok, meanwhile, have a heart-to-heart, but then he leaves to find ice and bring one family back together. No. Please don't let the 12-year-old have a gun again. It's not a good idea. Ice, Ad, and Avashone continue on to the drowned city after burying Avashone's father. They make it to the beach and can see old skyscrapers in the middle of the ocean, but they don't have a way to get there. Avashone finds a boat that needs repairs, so they begin working on it, until Ad takes it upon himself to try to kill Avashone. Ice? tries to stop him, but Avashone says if Ice wants her to die, she will. No, 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 no. No, no. Don't. Mm-mm. Ad stabs Avashone with his spear, but then Ice tackles him, and then, shocking everyone, they make out a little bit. <laughs> Ice is ecstatic, but finally pulls away when she hears Avashone whimper. She's fine, really, like, She's only hurt a little bit because she's super strong. (laughs) But Ice tells her that she never wants her to die and that she will make Ad stop trying to hurt her. Avashone then asks Ice when she's going to have her litter of children after, you know, she and Ad just made it on the beach. (laughs) I love it so much. This is... This is not happening. They did they didn't mate. There's no litter. It's not happening. That's good, I guess. Oh, we need to have the talk. They do. They really need to have the talk with poor Avishone. To be fair, I think they need the talk as well, so <laughs> 
on the beach, Tyrion arrives and Evershawnia tries to kill him. Tyrion and Adoran talk about how Ad and Ice kissed, but Ice says it was nothing, making Adoran run off. Ice goes after him and they're attacked, but when the attacker sees Ice's eyes, he runs off, but returns a short time later with the army of Crothus. Ice, yes. Ad and Tyrion and Avishon get their boat, but you know what? The Crothus can swim. Yes. that. You know who else can yes. swim? Sharks. Jesus. Sharks can swim. And they're really good at it. Evershawnia yeah. cuts her arm and dangles it in the water. Shark attack! <laughs> oh, God! Look, I'm a shark. <laughs> Many of the Crothus are devoured. Oh, mm, God. And good eats. <laughs> Man. Not good. Yikes. You know, that's a lot of deaths. I don't yeah. know. If- I don't know if we've reached the same number of deaths as in Shades of Earth, but we're getting very close. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a lot of death. It's a lot of death. Yeah, yeah. I'm not tallying these up, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Isaac comes back from over the wall with things belonging to the dead, including a necklace that belonged to Iceland, which brings about the end of Nicholas and Margin. At least he didn't come back with a gun. Trandon now feels bad about trying to usurp Nicholas and says that he needs to be the leader again. Oh, your daughter's dead. I guess you can lead. Shrug. I don't want to be a pity leader. Don't pity me and make me leader. Mm. Ugh. Do we need to remind everyone that Mountaintop is bad? Do we? Oh, yes. I think we need to say Mountaintop is bad. Um, Mountaintop's yeah. bad. Mountaintop is bad. Yeah. Iceland, Adoran, Terrain, and Evershawnia make it to the Drowned City, and Empress, the leader of the Crothus, is angry. He's going to get them all. Ice asks about Evershawnia's mother, but she says Ice is her mother. No, that, that can't be right. <laughs> they go no. up a skyscraper where there are many others like Evershawnia. There is a portrait of someone who looks exactly like Ice, but it's hundreds of years old. Ice meets the leader of this group, and when they touch, their memories blend together. Iceland can see the past. This butt's really good. She joins with the leader, whose name is Omathis, and lives his memories. Sean Brathius, Iceland's many, many times great-grandfather, created Omathis and the ones like him in Avishone. Sean was a scientist who created weapons for the military, and in particular, these creatures. They age slowly. They're strong. They're powerful. They're smart. But they're just not aggressive enough for the military. Sean and his daughter, who Omathis calls lovely, want to keep them safe. Omathis and his cellmate and brother, Amparis, 
love and care for Sean and Lovely and would never hurt them. But then Sean finds a mate, Shy, and they hate her and she them, which is understandable because she's pretty terrible. And it turns out a distant relation of Trenton, which is probably why he's so terrible too. Shy tells Sean that he isn't their father, but it doesn't seem that way. They were made with his blood. They have his eyes. They are treated like family. Until the government says that the experiment failed and they must be terminated. Oh, yikes. Sean works quickly to make them more aggressive so he will not have to kill the creations made with his own blood. But they are to be terminated anyway. Lovely comes to try and set them free, but she can't. The locks have been changed. She tells them that they are strong enough to break free. When Shy comes later with her brat of a son, oh god, he's such a dick, Travis. I know, he's terrible. Amathus and Empress break out of their enclosures and throw her against the wall and terrify her son. Men with guns show up, and more like Amathus and Empress are released from their enclosures. Even against guns, they cannot be stopped. Sean and Lovely flee the carnage. After reliving all this, Omathis nearly falls into a depression. But Ice wants to understand all the tragedies that have befallen them and help them. She sees herself as their god, which sounds so fucking dangerous and so self-important and... You guys don't even get to know the full details of how how much of a god complex she has. It's horrible. Omathis greatly misses Mr. Sean and had always hoped he would come back down the mountain for his creations. Omathis tried to lead expeditions up the mountain, but found they couldn't breathe the air, and many died. So they created masks in the likeness of Mr. Sean, that would allow them to breathe. But as they begin to climb the mountain, a great earthquake happened, and there was a flood. They all assumed that it was Mr. Sean, their creator, their god, punishing them. So they never tried to find him again, and hundreds of years have passed. It wasn't a punishment. It wasn't a punishment, Omathis. It was just a natural disaster. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. Poor Mathis. I know. Now, through visions, Ice has discovered that the masks are hidden in the sports coliseum in the drowned city. She wants to get them and take as many Anagwin, the name for the nice threat pillows like Amathis and Evershawne, up to mountaintop as she can. She tells Terrain that she wants to get the masks, but doesn't say why. She doesn't tell Ad at all. Terrain discovers scuba equipment and gets it working again. Then they all three go underwater in search of the masks. They find them and almost make it back to the surface without incident, but then Ice gets spooked by a shark and flails away. Terrain, not Ad, blocks her from the shark and ends up being bitten. When they get out of the water... 
Evershonia is there and attacks Tyrion because they could have gotten her god killed. He's knocked out and Ice tries to give him a kiss just to see what it's like. It's not so bad. Ice visits with Omathis to tell him about the masks. He's a little excited about going up the mountain, but also upset because he knows his brother, Ampyrus, you know, the leader of the Crothis, won't go. And that he is, in fact, building an army to kill them all as they try to ascend. Ad and Terrain have a scheme they're working on behind Ice's back that will kill those wearing the masks just in case. They think it's ridiculous for Ice to think that she's a god, while they believe that all the threat belows are bad. They all come up with a plan to sneak around the Crothis army, who definitely want to kill everyone, but it means sacrifice. Luckily, there is a group willing to die for Ice. And, boy, they do. Ice and company sneak around to the mountain, and a different group of Nagwin are attacked as a distraction. Ampris realises this and goes to attack. Ice's small group's sneaky travelling leads to Ad nearly drowning, but Evershawnir goes to rescue him. Even after he's tried to kill her so many times? is pretty great. Yeah. Ice is very pleased that only four died in their adventure, and she wants to kiss Ad in celebration. He sneaks off in the middle of the night, and she follows, but finds him talking to Avashone. They're having an in-depth conversation about God. Ice is pleased that they're talking, but doesn't like what they're talking about. God? I'm God! What are you talking about? Don't question me, mortals. (sighs) Avishone leaves, and Ice kisses Ad, but this is not the right time, okay? Stop it. They instead talk about whether his father still exists somewhere. Ice doesn't think so, but she tries to comfort Ad anyway. As they go back to the camp, they spot Crothis coming on boats. Shit. Terrain estimates that they have about a half-day head start. He also tells Ice, secretly, what it was that he and Ad were planning. Then they take off up to Mountaintop. When they arrive, Ice has everyone hide, and she approaches alone. Ishtok spots her before she has all of the Alguadnir hide inside, and tells Nicholas and Marjan that she's back, but they really don't believe it. Nicholas tells Tranton and the Taralius to guard the wall. Ice arrives and declares herself the new chief cognate. Tranton says she can't have whatever childish thing she wants and commands the Tarlinius to shoot. Evishone is shot, but not hurt at all. The guy that shot her, though, (laughs) Nicholas concedes and Iceland and Co. enter Mountaintop. Pity the fool that shoots Evishone. I know. Yikes. But then also Nicholas is like, oh yeah, okay. Okay, daughter, you can take over. It's fine. You you wanna be you wanna be in charge now? Oh, that's okay. Lovely. Oh, Here you go. that's so nice. 
Okay. Wiener as well. He's a wiener. <laughs> wieners. Wieners all over the place. <laughs> so wienery. Okay, so look. We all know this. All of us listening and, and reading the book. It's not so great on mountaintop anymore. No one seems to like ice at all, but freaking come on. You just arrived with an army of monsters? Of course no one's going to like you. She says that she brought the army to save Mountaintop from the Crothis that are on their way. She commands the people to barricade themselves in the meeting hall. Tranton tells them that they should scatter and hide all over, but she says no. The Crothis enjoy the hunt and will kill everyone who is not protected by the Anaguan. Ice leads them into Brathia's tower and tells them it's their home now. <laughs> Amathis visits Sean's grave and looks through all his old belongings, many of which are from when Amathis and Amparis were young. Tranton asks if there's any way to defeat the Crothis, and Terrain starts to speak up to tell them, you know, whatever it is, that plan that, that he and Ad had discovered. But Ice shuts him up. Dude, what is the plan? I need to know the plan. The battle begins and it's really not great. <laughs> the, the Crothis pretty much swarm the population. Ad mm. does a good job leading the Nagwan fighters, but it's still too much. When Ad witnesses a person literally getting ripped in half, he and Terrain implement the plan that they worked on before coming up the mountain. The secret backup plan that will kill all the threat belows, whether they're good or bad, that Ice will never, ever forgive them for. Ad tells Evershawne to run, that Ice commands it, so she takes off. Terrain releases canisters of poison gas that, when breathed through the masks the threat belows have to wear to breathe on mountaintop, gets ultra concentrated. Oh my god. Dang. That's a, that's a terrible plan! That's awful. It's a terrible plan. Meanwhile, Ice has made a soothing connection with Amparis and the other Crothis, the same kind of connection that Mr. Sean used to make with them. They have calmed and are no longer attacking at literally the exact same time Ad and Terrain poison them. All the threat belows begin to die while Ice shouts, No! The boys shut off some of the canisters, but Tranton worms his way out of hiding just long enough to toss a canister out of reach, its gas still flowing. Empress manages to run away, feeling hurt and betrayed by humans again, which definitely is not going to be good for the future. Ice finds Omathis and shares her breath with him as they run off down the mountain. Ice is freaking out about losing pretty much her entire newfound family and thinks Evershawnia is dead too. But she pops up out of the woods, thank goodness. Ice thank is also goodness. violently angry about Ad and Terrain killing everyone. They've just freaking committed genocide, people. 
They did. But we she talked about this. We talked about it, this last week. It's literally just last week. Do not commit genocide. <laughs> and she, but she kind of understands why they did it. It's not great. She realises that she no longer fits in on mountaintops. So she and Mathis and Evershawnia leave to find their new heaven elsewhere. Look, End of book one. That's a terrible ending to a book, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that. Let's leave the book with genocide. Yeah, everyone you know and love is dead. Just see, see this great big pile of characters just here. They'd be dead now. Dead. Officially, the head count in the threat below has exceeded all of Across the Universe series. I believe so. I believe wow. so. Wow, this month has a high death toll. It's a very, very high death count. It does. And on that note... Listen to this advert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> smooth. <laughs> Very smooth. Very smooth. Have you ever wondered what Tina Fey has in common with Jonathan Swift? Or how Star Wars is connected to feudal Japan? Or just how pervasive Shakespeare's influence still is? I'm Rhonda. And I'm Erin. And our show Pop DNA explores the literary and historical roots of your favorite pop culture works. Like the Greek mythology and early 20th century feminism echoed in the film Wonder Woman. Or the classic dystopian fiction and real life political revolutions that informed the Hunger Games. Every month we bring you a deep dive discussion of a selected pop culture work. Featuring jokes no one will think are funny and literary references no one asked for. Find us at thepopdna.blog or anywhere you get your podcasts. By the way, Shakespeare is bigger than Disney. We're back. We're back from our break. Standout moments. A lot of stuff happened in this book, Claire. Yes. A lot. Yes, it did. A lot. A lot. 540 pages worth of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of characters, and there's a lot of people that died. That is an understatement. That is the biggest understatement. A lot of people died. Yeah. But you know, like, not anyone that that you really want to die. No, which is the frustrating thing. There's so many people I wanted to die, and those people did not die. No. They didn't. And they should have. What did you like, though? Okay, aside from the people not being, not dying, who should have died. Okay, so you don't you don't really get this much through the summary, but like, oh my god, these characters are made of sarcasm, and it's fantastic how sarcastic they are with each other all the time, and I myself oh, yeah. am made of sarcasm and ridiculousness, so just they're so sarcastic, and it was great. But you don't really get that much yes. in the summary. You have to you have to read the book or listen to the audio for that to get to get the yeah. true sarcasm. You got to read it. it. 
it's definitely the bit you know after Iceland declares herself a god, mm-hmm. and Adoran and Terrain are like, just go with it. <laughs> just go. It's not true. Really? Like, just go with it. You just like you feel it. You don't. You feel their <laughs> consternation. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, what the hell is she even talking about? Iceland, you're not a god, okay? You're a 17-year-old girl. Stop. She's like, no, I am a god. I'm their god. I'm their god. I'm their god. I'm their mother. I'm everything to them. They are my children. Uh-uh. I did not like Iceland as a character. No. I really didn't. Right? I hated her. I hated her, but there was so much other stuff going on, and it was really, really interesting. Like, Omathis's story, where she, like, mind melds with him, because these, these Anaguin, these threat belows, like, that's part of their ability. They, they can communicate in each other's minds. They have this power, and they are made, essentially, from her blood, like, so they, they can share this connection with her. And then she literally melds and can live the history of these monsters being created. And that was such a cool story. I really enjoyed that section. That was one of my favorite sections of the book, actually. I could have quite enjoyed that to have been longer. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah. And you know, if you go and if you go and check out the bonus episode, we talk with Jason Latshaw with Jason Latshaw about this and how like to me it felt the majority of the book felt really almost almost but not quite high fantasy. And then you realize, nope, this is a dystopia. This is the real world. This is where stuff is actually happening. And this is a guy who we also learned is in what is essentially Los Angeles, creating monsters for the army, creating monsters yes. for the military. And that that's what these guys are. And now it's 300 years later. So it's like it's this huge, terrible dystopian society. But you think it's fantasy until you realize, holy shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. This is L.A. That- underwater. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't go down the the water. I got a lot like it's like I say in the bonus episode. I got a lot of um, movie themes from it, like yeah. the feels of different movies. And I was hoping with all the water, it wasn't going to go water world because I freaking kind of stand that movie. Oh, but it didn't. No. It didn't at all. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. Yeah. But the that 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 part where you learn about Mister Sean and you learn about Amathis, um, and Ampris and where they came from was Planet of the Apes to me. Yeah. That was the development of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And it is it goes very differently. Ish. Right. Um but yeah, I, I I got that. What I didn't pick up a lot of physical descriptions going through the book. Mm-mm. I don't really remember. I mean it's a big book and you you know you forget the finer details. Yeah. Um, sometimes, but I didn't get a physical description of what the threat below were, apart from very humanoid, almost like you couldn't distinguish them. Right, except there when we when we meet Avashone the first time, and she runs up and saves Iceland. You like she's described as very beautiful, 
but twice the size of a 17-year-old girl. So they're huge. And yeah. I think it's also mentioned, like, her their eyes are more on the sides of their head, but, like, not in a creepy way. They're just slightly yeah. more spread apart. So they can see everything that's going on around them. And, of course, if you're created as a military weapon, you need to see what's going on around you. So... That's that's pretty much the only description. But can I tell you <laughs> Can I tell you what I really really hoped was going to happen and I'm like I'm sad that I didn't mention this to Jason in in our bonus episode because like I com- I completely forgot that I had this idea in my head that I was really really hoping that this happened. <laughs> I wanted to find out that the threat balloons were normal sized and everyone else was tiny. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. But I really, like, I I really kind of wanted it to happen. That would have been amazing. Right, because, you know... know, That would have been ultra amazing. It would have been ultra amazing. They would have been ultra sized. Yes! And I really... It was really, it was really the scene where Ice and Ad went into Abishone's cabin and they see the giant cloaks in the corner and they have to, you know, they go and hide underneath them, but they have to stand on stools to fill out the cloaks. And I was thinking, oh my God, are they small? Are they small? Are they like hobbit sized? And they're hiding underneath these cloaks of like, elf-sized people and I really wish that would have happened but no that would have been amazing right it would have been that would have been amazing they could have been ultra people oh my god they could have been ultra people I'm oh miss a trick that right I know I know I really wish that would have happened that was such a good scene too though when they discover the cabin and there's (laughs) that was also it was also one of my favorite scenes because they we're talking about how the the a priori, which is us, this is humans in regular human time, used to, you know... And human-sized, human regular human-sized humans. Human-sized, yes. yes. They're like, yeah, did you know that, you know, way back a long time ago, they used to worship a god with a hammer? Like, why would you worship a god with a hammer? <laughs> but then they're discovering all of these artifacts that are in this house like mixers and blenders and record players and they're like well where are those gods (laughs) listen to the bonus episode for more about me wanting to be a god with a mixer (laughs) and how it's probably gonna happen oh dear me yes i really all the yes i loved it (laughs) But now only if it oh. were if it were the ultra versions, the tiny versions. It has to be the ultra versions. That's the only way I'm going to accept this. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's really tickled me now. I know. I know. I <laughs> wish that I had remembered that I thought about that, but it was... <sighs> At least it came to me now. Speaking of ultra, oh we haven't once, me- once mentioned our devotion to the ultra beasts. Oh my god, I know, especially the ultra bears. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Because they're raccoons. <laughs> I remember hilarious. messaging you because you read this first before I did. I remember messaging you and going, are, "Are the ultra bears trash pandas?" And you were like, <laughs> "Yes." 
<laughs> they are. They're raccoons. <laughs> it's that's very well done. That's the setup of that uh, joke, essentially. <laughs> it is. It's a wonderful. Was perfect. Joke. Perfect. Oh, yeah. No, I really enjoyed that, and it that the ultra bears. You know when you read something and you kind of go, yeah, that's us latching onto it. That's our thing for the week where we're just not going to let go. Yep. But then when you get to the mixes, you're like, yeah, 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 that's something else. Because a- I know what we're like. We get our teeth into something where we're close into something fairly innocuous. <laughs> we and obsess. that's it. That's done. We, we obsess. obsess. Salad crisper from Cinderella <laughs> is dead. <laughs> Photocopying from um, the Golden Lily, <laughs> just to name two. <laughs> I still, I still think about those. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's really good. I love, I love when we hyper focus on something because it gets, it just, it's so bad. Like, I'm pretty sure our episode picture this week is probably going to include a mixer. It is. It's got to. It is. I mean... A glass of water and a mixer. What if I could find that slug from the garden again? Oh, yes. Find your garden slug and a raccoon. (laughs) Throw a raccoon in there. I used to have a toy raccoon. Do you remember the raccoons when we were little? The cartoon? Mm-mm. Oh, the, the raccoons were raccoons. But there was these pink creatures as well. One was the the dad and one was the son. And the, the dad was this horrible um, Scrooge McDuck rich type person, but really, really evil. And I'm sure it was just called the raccoons. No. Listeners out there, someone redeem me on this. I don't know the raccoons. I know the angry beavers. No, I don't know the angry beavers. This is going to be us sending YouTube links to each other all night now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Can we get out of the Can we get Can we get out of the way Iceland declaring herself a god? Yes. That was so frustrating. Yeah. It was so frustrating. She's a kid. Mm-hmm. And she's so self-involved. Oh my god! Ugh. But I like, know it, she's been brought up that way. Right. But it's still frustrating. It is. It's terribly frustrating. And luckily, we were brave enough to declare to Jason that we hated. We hated his main character, but. You know, it's like it's like hate in a loving way. You know, like it, it's well done that you hate her, but he loves her, and he explained more of her story to us, which like picks up more in in the second book. Mm-hmm. And he kind of explained it to us, but man, we still hate her guts out. We do. We hate her. Yes, yes. I understand. She's a a young teenage girl. You know, you've said before. She's young. She's still learning. And her inex- life inexperience is so obvious. Yeah. It's so there. Yeah. But 
what really frustrated me the most was the fact that she is so negative and horrible to Adoran and his religion. Yeah, it's, oh, it's but the then worst. straight away says, I'm a god. Yeah. I don't get that. No. I don't get it. How you can suddenly declare yourself this omnipotent being based on nothing when you've been literally taking the piss out of people for it. Yeah. It was very frustrating. Yeah, and it very, happened it happened all throughout the book too. Like when she's she's getting ready to leave Mountaintop and she goes by Ad's house and she sees like his mother singing around a wooden cross or it's, it's described as a wooden like X type X, thing. Yeah. But it's clearly a cross. They're clearly worshipping and singing and, you know, praising and she's like, Ugh, stupid Veritas. They're so stupid. What are they even thinking? And then she's like, Oh hey, guess what? I'm a god. Your god doesn't exist, but I am a god. It's the worst. I don't think she understands what a god is. I don't think she does either. Yeah. I think Speaking of other abrupt turns, well, uh-huh, I, I think that she thinks a god is just someone to worship. Yes. And she clearly and feels worshipped. She's had that her entire life back yes. on the mountaintop. Yeah. Frustratingly. Yeah. The other person who had an about change was um, Terrain. I found it frustrating listening to the audiobook on that one, by the way, because it was pronounced about six different times, so I don't know exactly it which really way it's supposed was. to be. A lot of things were a lot of things were pronounced different ways almost every time that they were said. Yeah. But I think terrain And that's just me in the summary. It really is. You <laughs> You do you do that a lot. You did good audiobook narrator. Just don't do accents. Anyway, sorry. Terrain's abrupt change from basic to hunter. Yeah. How does he know how to kill the bear? Reading. I think he's learned it because he's a cognate too. So, you know, the the cognates and the veritas are two different types of people who live on mountaintop. But, you know, we learn they're actually all the same and it's just a class system and the cognates are the worst and they don't do anything, but they're smarter than everyone else. And the veritas are the like the hunters and the gatherers and the ones that do all the manual labor. But I imagine he just learned it because he's very smart. He's, you know, from from books and things that he's learned, he's able to take the fog at Cloudline and turn it into water. And he does that too when they get to the drowned city. He like sees their, uh, they have like antennas on top of the buildings and he sees that condensation gathers on these antennas and learns, oh, I can gather water from here too. So he wants to take, we didn't even mention that at all, that Terrain really is the hero of this story, saving them with their water supply. Even though he ends up killing almost everyone at the end. But he has this plan to take the antennas back to Mountaintop to gather water so they'll be able to live. Although also, since he kind of killed all of the Crothis, there's not going to be anyone else down there to poison the water. So, you know, just let it flow for a couple of weeks and it'll probably be fine. (laughs) Just flush the system out. It's all good. It's yeah. all good afterwards. Yeah. 
Put some de- lime scale remover in there as well, just to freshen things up. It's all great. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really forgive finding water source after com- like committing genocide. Doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work that way. No. But see, to them, and I know this is going to sound terrible, to them, the, the threat belows, regardless of if they're the Anaguin who are the good ones or the Krothus who are the bad ones, you know, in quotes, all of this is in quotes, like they don't see them as human. So no. they're protecting the last, what they know of the last like hope of humanity on top of this mountain by killing all the monsters, but they're not monsters. I mean, some of them are, but that's how people are too. Exactly. Exactly. Other movie reference I got feelings from, well, it's more comic books, is X Men. Mm-hmm. Um, the Magneto, um, Professor X kind of ultimately the same. Yeah. But, and wanting the same goal, but the way they're going about it's different. Yeah. That kind of divergence. I got that, those feels quite heavily as well. Yeah. But that kind of yeah. that kind of makes me appreciate more the fact that in when we play Would You Rather, I'd make decisions that are different from everyone else, and then well, I'm obviously, you know, joining up with Magneto and the Brotherhood here, so <laughs> I can't not pick a villain. I can't exactly. I can't not pick a villain. It's like asking us any question. Where one of the answers is vampire. Yes. You're going to pick vampire. Yeah. Or if one of the answers is magic. Exactly. Magic, vampires, or vampire, vampire hunters. That's us. That is fictional hangover yeah. in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> and what you can do is you can write that on a nut now. And you can train the squirrels to take it up to the mountaintop to deliver that message. I wish there had been more of that. It just shows yes. how smart... Adirane is, but like doesn't get credit for any of it. And there's really? a time where he, God, it's it's after they they're in Cloud Bank and everyone is violently violently murdered one by one, and then they come back and find them, and he carves their names onto acorns with, I mean. I assume with the idea that he's sending those back up, he's sending this message back up. And his mother, there is a brief scene where his mother receives acorns, but then nothing else really comes from that because there's a whole bunch of other shit going on. <laughs> Tranton's giving yeah. guns to children. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. We can't worry about the acorn messages right now because Tranton has awesome. given guns to children. Freaking asshole. He's the worst. He's the worst. Yeah. It's. I can't even. I've got no words. I'm just literally. You know. This is this is not a podcast movement. But I'm literally just holding my hand up and just shaking my head. Yeah. Because it's just the worst. He's the worst. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Anyway, okay. I do like the like the actual. Big sharks. That yeah. scene where Evershawne cuts her arm and is basically bit. Yeah. Hey, Jaws, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
that's another movie reference. Um, that was really well done. And then again, you know, lots of death. Yeah. And they're also like really worried that she's hurt herself. But these, they, these guys are pretty much indestructible. They're bulletproof. Yeah, they're super soldiers. Bullets, bloodletting, <laughs> sharks. Well, no, the sharks do get them. The sharks, the sharks get the crothis. A lot of them. So but that, I think that might be the chewing motion. Yeah, like you just can't, you can't escape being eaten by something. Yeah, the digestive juices in the stomach will break you down eventually. It'll yeah. be painful. Yeah, but it's gonna happen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did you have any favorite character? You know, I really liked Avishone. Yeah. Even, like, it's a little weird, but we learn that the Anaguin and the Crothis and the Threat Belows, like, however you want to call them, they age really, really slowly. Like, Omathis has been here from the beginning, so Omathis is at least 300 years old. But he's, you know, he's just a regular giant guy. And Avishone, you know, thinks that Iceland is going to have a litter of babies after kissing Adorane on the beach. So, like, she's clearly still quite a young person. She's a kid. Yes. She's a kid, essentially. But, you know, she's a super soldier. So she's she's, she's, a, not... she's a child and an Amazonian warrior's body. Yeah, so she hasn't quite matured yet, but she's still pretty great. Yes. For like a for a giant beautiful 7-year-old, <laughs> she's great. No, I really liked Avishonia as well. I think she she stood out as the best character for me. But I did like Amathis and um his story back like that entire scene, so I quite liked Amathis as a character as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I also, surprisingly, surprising to myself even, I really grew to like Terrain. Not Terrain in the beginning, not Terrain when he was a wiener, but when he's out on his own away from the rest of the cognates and he's doing all of this science and like he knows so much stuff and then he ends up like i said earlier being the hero with bringing water back to mountaintop like he did what he set out to do and you know can i tell you i really if i could if i could change the story if I could change the story and make it different, I would cut Iceland out. She's dead. She got ripped in half. She was scooped out like a gourd and tied up somewhere. By an ultra bear. By an ultra bear. <laughs> if, we got, if we got rid of Iceland, mm-hmm. the Anaguin and all of those guys are still there. All of this stuff still happens. And even Mr. Sean and coming up to the mountain to find your god, all of that stuff is still there. Fine. But if it was just Adirane and Terrain, and it was like an enemies to lovers sort of thing, I would have been all for that. Yes. Because they do end up becoming friends, you know, yes. at the end. But man, 
if I was writing this story, or I guess if I was editing this story, you know, if that was a thing, you know, that you could do with a published book, like, get rid of her, have Adirane and Terrain decide that they love each other, and then they save the world with genocide, with genocide and water. I ship that. I do. I I, I agree wholeheartedly. Because I hated Iceland that much. Yeah, just cut her out of it and it's fine. Yeah, she doesn't need to be there. You could have exactly the same story without her. You really, really could. You find these creatures, you you learn that you can understand them. Because we do see that. Avishone does, like, she and Adirane do carry on conversations with each other. So we know that they can communicate. And then in that point, she could be like, yeah, we think that, you know, Sean is our god. And he, and then Adirane is like, okay, well, let's find you some way to breathe up on the mountain and I'll take you up to the mountaintop. And Terrain's like, okay, I'll figure out the science behind it. Let's get them these masks, but let's create, you know, a weapon of mass destruction just in case we need to kill everyone. And carry them up to the mountain. is masks. Plan B is genocide. Mm-hmm. Can I reiterate again that genocide should never no, be a plan? No, please don't ever anyone commit <laughs> genocide. It's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you've, I think you've, um, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think you, you, that would be, that would make it a five star story for me. Right. Just get rid of the main character. <laughs> But we did talk, but we did tell Jason that, and we, like, you know, it's, the story is good. The story is entertaining. The story is, like, wildly imaginative. It's a good story, and, you know, yeah, we hate the main character, but that takes good writing to make you hate someone so much, so it's good, but just get rid of her and let me have, let me have cute boys who like each other. (laughs) I haven't had that in a long time. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you there. I'm definitely with you there. Yeah. Okay. What about surprises? Was there anything particularly surprising for you? Really? Just that Ice decided she was a god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, complete whiplash yeah. with that one. Like, what? Hang on. What? But, you know, I think we discovered a little bit ago that she doesn't know what a god is. Because yeah. everything that she's learned from gods is just people worshipping you. And like you said, she's been worshipped her entire life. Yes. So I think that's all that she thinks gods are. And you know, do you think t- she's just... Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. I was thinking, do you think she's declared herself a god with a, little, with a lowercase g, not a capital G? Maybe. It's hard to say because we listened to the audiobook. So we don't know yeah. the capitalization of the G's. But maybe. You know, because the gods that she knows about are Adirani's and, and his family singing and praising someone. And, you know, Thor with his hammer is just praising. It's just praising someone. <laughs> and that's all she's been doing. And then and then, you know, two the Anaguin, they have this painting of Lovely on the wall, and Avishone, or not Avishone, sorry, and Iceland looks exactly like this person. 
So of course you're going to think that. Like, holy crap, this is, this is the person who saved us in the very beginning by telling us we were powerful enough to escape our bondage and to, like, keep us from dying. Yeah. So of course you're going to think that. Yeah. She's created her own divine right. She's just fitting in herself into the, the, sim- the symbolism that she's already saying. Yeah, she really is. Yeah. I hope in future stories, in future books, she gets over this. She's got to mature. She needs to mature. Yeah. Got to got to get over this god complex that you have. Cuz you're not or a god. We're feeding her to the ultra bears. Yes, we're feeding her to the ultra bears. Like you're not a god. You didn't create these people. Yeah, sure. Your family's blood was used in the creation of them. But they're they're essentially science experiments. It's not like a divine thing has happened and all of a sudden you're just, ah, and these people are here. Like, it's a military experiment. That ain't something yeah. to be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. Sheesh. Claire, is it time? It's time. It's time. It's time. Pew, 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 pew. Would you rather? you rather and this one is even more special than usual because we're joined by the author jason latshaw thank you for joining Yay! us thank you for having me i can't wait it's very exciting to be part of a would you rather <laughs> oh, bless. How, we'll have we'll have to you know check with you at the end of would you rather to see if you know see if you survived see if you're okay because <sighs> it's serious what is our first question? Let's ha- start with a horrible one. Yes, On please. social media, we asked, would you rather drink poisoned water or eat leaves and slugs? <laughs> On Facebook, 40% said water, so 60% said slugs. On Instagram, 39% said water and 61% said slugs. On Twitter, 33% said water and 67% said slugs. And on TikTok, it was 55% for water and 45% for slugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's gourmet food time. I'm going mm, to give comments. you the comments. Yes, give Colin us comments. Colin on Facebook said, well, I know the poisoned water is going to kill me, yeah? Well, it's got to be slug and leaf time. It's kind of like to chop up the slugs and cook them through, maybe saute them with a little garlic. I know supplies are limited, but there are some things I am not willing to accept. And one of those is a lack of garlic. (laughs) Sort it out for me, please. Now. (laughs) It's not established in the book if there's no garlic. You could get wild garlic, (laughs) so it might be possible. I feel like they don't have garlic. There is no, I can tell you for sure, there is no garlic on top of the mountain. Maybe down below there's garlic, um, but absolutely no garlic up there, unfortunately. It doesn't grow well, there. I can't the top of the mountain then. How could you do that? <laughs> how, could, how could you deprive them of garlic? You deprive them of so much. Give them garlic. Black garlic. I mean, Ooh, elephant yeah. garlic. Yeah. So there's so many varieties. <laughs> I don't even know what elephant is. <laughs> but uh, I mean, unfortunately, they are just being deprived of so many things up there. There's there's a little bit of honey, a little bit of acorns. They don't even have water anymore. So it's a tough life in on the top of the- lemons. Do they have lemons? Maybe a nice lemon drizzle. 
No, no. That's not going to grow on top of the mountain. No. I don't know. No I'm not Annie. Distant memory of lemons is all about. <laughs> no, there's nothing. This, this food does not taste very good on top of the mountain. Well, we know this, but unfortunately the rest of the commenters don't know about this. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, Bree Tart on Instagram said, slugs and leaves. Cook the slugs well enough. Make sure the leaves are kind of fresh and dry. Toss in a lot of desperate imagination. And it's like eating a soft taco from Taco Bell. <clears throat> That's incorrect. <laughs> it's not the same. I have never been to Taco Bell. Cremillon Lafroy on Instagram. Yes. She says, poison water. I could do the leaves easily because I'm veggie, but slugs are slimy. I feel about slimes like ridiculous Amanda feels about face tattoos. Oh. Is that I... sick or angry? Because you got very angry when we talked face tattoos. I do not like a face tattoo, so. I'm not a fan either. It could be, right? No, no one, no sane person should have a face tattoo. Uh, Stop it. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's not, mm. I don't know. There's something about the permanence of it that really upsets me. I, I would do a temporary face tattoo. That would be fun for like a day or two, but it's such a decision for the rest of your life. You shouldn't be making decisions like that for the rest of your life. <laughs> no. Because yeah. just imagine what you would actually get tattooed on your face and then sticking with that for the rest of your life. It's, it's not a good idea. I yeah. found myself the morning after we, we had that discussion in the schoolyard looking at other parents and some of them do have face tattoos and I'm kind of like, a bit too creepy, so I had to stop. I don't think I've ever seen a face tattoo in real life, oh. like on an actual person. Oh, I have. I have. Are they going to be listening to this episode where we <laughs> trash face tattoos? I don't think the green. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it's the, the same audience, but... I live in Los Angeles, okay. so I definitely okay. see, a, a, you know, a fair amount of people with face tattoos. No doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. And I'm just a snob, so... <laughs> um, what is another good comment that we need to read? L20Kev on Instagram said, It would have been slugs and leaves, but a few weeks back, I went into my back garden barefoot and stood on a slug hidden in the grass, and it squished between all my toes. I never get that squeamish, but it made me feel sick. It was that sticky and slimy that by the time I got inside, all the twigs, soil, grass, and moss had gotten stuck to my foot and toes. So I looked like I was Groot's cousin. So I pick poisoned water, and I'll drink a tiny bit each day and build up a tolerance so one day I can trick someone like Vizini and Fezzik into a game of poison water Russian roulette. Wow. He's really thought this through. Your commenters are He's very true. smart. I have to say, like, this is seven, you know, tiers above your normal commenter that I read. So I, bravo. These are so smart. I'm very impressed. He's obviously, he's obviously very, very traumatized by the experience as well. He must it's be. actually the same should, thing has happened to me, actually. And I have to say, it's, it's just as bad as described. It's the worst thing that can happen. One of the worst. Yeah, it's terrible. terrible. I took a picture. Did I send you the picture of the giant slug I found in my, bed, my back garden? You did. The one that you could see like through the window and on the ground from your, inside your house. It was huge. It was huge. 
absolutely massive. And it was the same week that we were reading the book oh, as wow. well. And it's like, this is weird. <laughs> and I tried to use the picture I took as the picture for the Would You Rather, but I couldn't get the resolution quite so well. Mm. And unfortunately, haven't seen it since. I think a bird might have got it. I won't go in the back garden without shoes on at the moment because I've got images of standing on it. Ice might have come and eaten it. Oh, I should have fried it up, shouldn't mm-hmm. I? You could, yeah, mm. you should have. Do we want to sing Constance's out? <sighs> kind of have I to, don't, don't we? I mean, we kind of have to, but I don't know. We need to give you a little bit of backstory. Okay. Several episodes ago... We, we challenged one of our listeners to only reply in song lyrics to our Would You Rathers. And so she has been. She's been sticking with it. And it's mostly terrible. So here's her comment this time. Claire, do you want to sing it? Oh, I've got to remember the tune. Constance Dyke on TikTok says, With a taste on your lips, I'm gonna ride. Your toxic Slipping under with the taste of a poison paradise. I'm addicted to you. <laughs> Hashtag free Britney. Wow. I don't, but what's. The, I'm sorry for singing. I'm sorry. Though? I guess that's. They're choosing water. I guess Constance is choosing water. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's the poison. The poison paradise, I think. Wow. Is, that's her clue. Well, you know, if, if drinking water has a theme song, that's definitely, you know, plus for drinking water, <laughs> even though it's poisonous, right? But a slug doesn't have a theme song. It, maybe it could use one, but it does not have one so far. <laughs> <laughs> there could be one on Sesame Street. There's going to be, I bet there's a slug song there's on just, Sesame Street or something. There's yeah. got to be. There's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, and what's even great... Okay, so those were all really fantastic comments from social media. However, I wrote this on on the wall in my break room at the library that wow. I work at. And got some really great comments from there as well. <sighs> Namely, water is easy to down. Slugs would for sure make me gag. Yuck. Um, diarrhea for days afterwards through poison water. Just plug your nose and do it real quick like a shot. And then there's more slugs being like escargot and leaves being like salad. So it could be delicious. Lots of, lots of good comments. My favorite one was just texture issues. (laughs) Yes, texture (laughs) issues. They're definitely choosing the poison water because of slug texture issues. So great. I love working in a public library <laughs> and making people read the things that we talk about on Fictional Hangover. <laughs> so, anyway. yikes, now it's time. Now Can't it's wait. time. We're going to make you go first. Are you drinking poisoned water or are you eating slugs and leaves? Well, you know what's so funny is, um, you know, obviously I wrote the story that this Would You Rather came out of, but I never thought of this as a Would You Rather. But I have to say, it gave me some very profound insight because I was thinking, you know, water is one of my favorite things in the world, by the way. I love water. It's cold. It's refreshing. I think it tastes fantastic. So if you've got this like really delicious, wonderful, short term joy called water, but you know, in the long term, it's going to kill you versus like a slug, which is totally disgusting, right? But it's packed with protein. It has water in it. The lead, you know, so it's kind of like 
it's kind of like, you know, a short term purchase versus saving for something over time. It's like, you know, it's, it's like a whole instant gratification versus delayed gratification. But so I have to say, but here's the thing too. I actually really like slugs on a personal level, which would also make killing and eating a slug really difficult because I used to collect slugs as pets when I was very young. And so it would make me very sad to kill a slug. I used to catch slugs, okay? Because I lived on kind of, a, my parents had like 30 acres and it was really special to me. I would go out and I would catch slugs and I would collect them. And the saddest thing in the world is I got it in my mind that I would be able to do a slug circus, kind of like train them to do tricks. And so I made these little ramps and I made these little like, <laughs> and I tried. And the thing is about slugs is they don't do anything. You can't train them at all. They barely even, they don't even move. And so this actually has a very sad ending because I was trying to show my older brother who unfortunately growing up was a bit of a bully my slug circus and he was like this is the stupidest thing in the world why would you do this and i said well just give me time i'm going to train them to do tricks and you're going to regret it but then he poured salt on them and he killed them <gasps> no. No, no so so this would you rather is actually delving into a lot of early trauma for me but oh no but i'm going to have to say and and actually the slugs in this would you rather if you ever want to look them up they're kind of in my mind they're based on the banana slugs in the northern california area which are actually like beautiful slugs they're like this bright mm-hmm. yellow and they're really cool looking and they're, they're actually really special when you find one anyway oh wow i've just googled yeah they're super cool they're, cool. they're bright yellow they're awesome um anyway to all that being said I would be tempted to say I would just fast for 30 days, you know, but except for you can't really fast from water. That's not going to work. So I guess I'd eat the slug, but I wouldn't feel good about it. And I really wouldn't enjoy it at all on any level. My like very long winded answer. And I'm eating the slug like pretty much. It was a perfect answer. It was perfect. It is. It, it had fits history. Right in. It had context. It had seasoning. It had it all. It had it all. Also, I have really sensitive tastes. I'm a really bad eater. So... I don't even know how this would work, to be honest with you, because I feel like you have to commit to actually eat a slug. I'd probably swallow it whole, to be honest with you. That's what I would do. Mm. That's what I yeah. yeah. I end up swallowing a lot of things whole. But yeah. normally you need water to swallow things whole, so that's a problem. But anyway, that's my answer. Slugs and leaves, very problematic eating that slug, but needed for survival, so I'll do it. Yeah. 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 Ugh. I feel like I've been thinking about this one for nearly a week. <laughs> and I've toed and fraud. I've toed and fraud. I've gone back and forth. And I think I've committed to slugs and leaves as well, going down the escargot route. I've eaten snails before. Like, you know, actually cooked snails in garlic butter. Very delicious. Yeah. yeah. So, what's a slug? I mean, I know there's no garlic on this mountaintop, so I'm a little upset. Yeah. But maybe the leaves can be like ground up a little bit. You know, I can do something with it. You can you can be resourceful in nature. It's fine. Because at least, you know, like you say, it's got the protein. It's the nourishment that you need. It is. It is. It's, it's not the poison that I don't need. So, yeah, slugs and leaves. Slugs and leaves. You guys are nuts. 
I'm drinking the poison water. Look, Margin survived. She was fine. She <laughs> was able to, you know, rally up against Trenton, collect some guns. She was fine. So wow. So I'm drinking the poison water. I, Look, I have to say, and this is not a spoiler for book two, but early on in book two, you realize there are further consequences for everyone who drank that water. Oh my gosh. Ah, <laughs> you've committed. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Well, once you once you begin book two, get back to us and say if you're still drinking that water. Oh my God. I feel like I'm definitely going to regret my decision. I mean, I don't know. It, it's a lifestyle choice. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you put it like that, that's that to makes it sound much more intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> Once you see what it is, it'll make sense. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, dang it! <laughs> I know. Like, can we can we hurry up this conversation along so I can go and pick up book two, please? Because I need to know what's going to happen to me. <laughs> <It's important. laughs> <It's become> personal. <laughs> it is. It's personal now. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Okay. Next question. Okay. Would you rather be a Cognate or a Veritas? So, I mean, it's not really a spoiler to tell you that the distinguish, the distinction between Cognate and Veritas is completely, like, imaginary or imposed, right? Like, they're, they're not yes. actually different kinds of people or anything like that. Um, so I think as someone who more naturally lives in my head a little bit more than in my body and is working on that, <laughs> um, I think that I, I mean, I think that I'd probably rather think of myself as a really smart Veritas. Um, and Veritas are like the, you know, the physical, smart, strong people, I mean, it's physical and strong people, brave. Because also I think Cognate, it's like, and Iceland goes through this, right? Where it's like, if everyone tells you since you're young that you're gifted and talented, and then when you're older, you don't really accomplish all that much, I think that's really crushing. But if everyone tells you that you're not all that smart and then you actually are smart, kind of feels like that's an easier place pressure-wise to be sometimes. So um, I think I think that if I had to choose, like being like an Adirane who's like always been encouraged to be strong and brave, but also is very smart and he knows it because he has that confidence would be a little easier. I mean, obviously in this society, it would be easier to be a... Um, a cognate right because you get all the benefits and everything but but some of that isn't true because like they're not even allowed to do physical things and i think that would be a real bummer so i think i would choose veritas because i think they're cooler you know and also like mm -hmm. you know they've got like secret religions under you know i just think veritas are a little cooler and cognate are a little like stifled um but i'm afraid that i'm a cognate but i'd like to be a veritas that's my, that's my answer <laughs> Sorry that you're afraid that you're a cognate, but it's really cute that you said that. <laughs> My answer was going to be very similar going with Adirane, because <laughs> that, that scene where he's like, hey, you know what? I took the cognate test, and I'm actually smarter than you, so back off. <laughs> like, I love that. I love that. Like, just rub it in her face. Yeah, and I love the, like, oh, she was so not happy. existential crisis that that threw Iceland into who never doubted that she was the smartest person in the room and now has to wonder about it. Um, now you yes. see, I think she got automatically given 20 points for being who she is, the daughter of who she is. And I was like, it's kind of like you've walked into the class with an automatic A and that A is you, you to lose. 
not for you to attain, where he's walked in and he's attained the A grade. She's automatically been given it. So I was kind of like, well, they're going to find out that was actually a rigged test and you're really not that smart. Because kind of she wasn't that smart throughout the book. <laughs> yeah. No. See, I was thinking cognate, but because you've got access to all of that knowledge and those resources and you can essentially order people around because it's a class system and then start a rebellion because who doesn't love a coup? I know, it's true. Although recent Sorry. events recent events here in our country, in, well, in America have made coups seem a little less cool to me, but I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that is true. <laughs> the timing of it and the people who tried to stage it were, what's the word? Dumb, moronic. Oh my god! I have thoughts and feelings. Yeah. However, okay, we don't need to talk about it. But, but... I'm in the UK, and I, I feel like Guy Fawkes had a had a plan. I Just agree. saying. I agree. Like the whole V for Vendetta <laughs> thing is a whole lot cooler than anything that's happened in America in the last year. For yeah, yeah. If that was to start up again, start up, I wouldn't be so opposed to it. But you know, I'm different country. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, they're a lot. They're they were a lot more well dressed in you know V for Vendetta and, oh, and all yeah. that stuff. It matters. Then uh, yeah, the better style teeth. choices matter greatly when it comes. Yeah. To if you're I gonna mean, stage a coup, you've got to stage it looking fabulous. That's right. Right. Or else, what's the purpose exactly? There's exactly. no, there's no purpose. But I mean, I'm definitely gonna wear a horned, furry hat if I, if I can. I've got a lot of horns and a lot of cosplay stuff. I mean, <laughs> no. Honestly, if if they all had been wearing horns and like furry hats. I would have been down for that a lot more than what actually ended up happening, you know? Yeah. yeah. It could have been more exciting instead of just really, really sad. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but all that to say, yes, uh, normally a coup is always cool. You know? <laughs> but we're in a fictional world here, so it's perfectly fine. Yeah. It's fine. You know, we'll get, we'll, we, can, we can get, you know, Jonathan Van Ness to come along in the Queer Eye guys. They'll dress us as cognates. And then we'll stage the coup, and we'll look fabulous yeah. doing so. Yeah. And you know, there's some really handsome cloaks <gasps> available. Oh my goodness! Yeah. You know. Yeah, I I would love to. I mean, like you mix like a Renaissance with Revolution, and I'm there for there. Like a Renaissance fair and a Revolution. Yeah. Pretty much my perfect day. We need to set that up. Yeah, exactly. I I'll co- I'll I'll I'm coming. Okay. You're I need to go to a Ren fair. Yeah, you do need to go to a Ren Fair. Yeah. Okay, what's what's our next question? Would you rather explore the Drowned City or an a priori neighbourhood? Oh my goodness. Well, for me, it's like, I'm obsessed with the ocean. I'm obsessed with water. I'm obsessed with ruined places, which obviously the a priori neighbourhood is as well. But it's the Drowned City for me. Like, that place is so fascinating to me. And I would absolutely, I mean, like shipwrecks and and you know, underwater ruins. It's just all very fascinating to me. And the fact that like there's parts of it still above the water that creatures are living in, I'm there for the rest of my life. Like I would love to be in the drowned city for sure. For sure. Mm. I, I, I'm i the same. I, I think if it, I got like an Atlantis feel from it. Yeah. Um, And it felt like the type of place that no matter how much you explore, you're never going to see all of it or you're going to always find... You'll walk the same street again and again and again and you'll still see something new every single time. It was like... 
I don't know, I just felt like it was, like I say, Atlantis was like Greek and Roman underwater city of just ostentatiousness. Yeah, yeah. And I, I also love, I love that there's so many different kind of elements shaping what it looks like. Like, so first of all, it's like, an, it's a city that was made by humans at one point. But now you have all the forces of the ocean kind of like beating against it and changing it and like salt, like crusting on the windows and like seaweed. But then you also have the creatures that live there that are building their own little buildings and bridges and like temples. And I mean, it's all just fascinating to me that I would, I would pay money to be able to, I would pay lots of money to be able to uh, explore the drowned city for sure. And then the underwater world with all the sea life and everything. I mean, the whole thing is, wow, who made that place up? That, that person must really be a genius. I know. What a place. What, that person must be really great. I don't know. <laughs> I would love to be that guy's friend. I'd love to, I'd love to <laughs> participate in a coup with that guy. That would be fun. <laughs> As long as, it's, as long as there's capes in that queue, we're fine. <laughs> what about you, Amanda? Look, I was really fascinated with Terrain exploring the houses and, like, getting super excited about the TV and then crashing through the floor and killing a bear. I was, I was into that. Me too. Um, so, like, I kind of I want to explore the neighborhood, especially... Um, when Ice and Adirane go into Avishone's house, and, you know, they don't know that it's her house, and they're like, oh, there's a record player, and there's music, and, like, there's all of this neat stuff, and then they're talking about, <laughs> they're talking about gods who use hammers, like, what even is this? Why would you choose a god who uses a hammer? And they're like, I want to use a mixer. Like, I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed all of that. And I was just thinking like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to like pretend that I don't know what any of this stuff is. And then just imagine gods ruling with blenders. So that's what I want to do. I like it. Yeah. Not a wrong answer for sure. (laughs) It's a little bit. Ariel, the Little Mermaid, you went there with like, I, I'm going to use this yes. fork for. But don't out. put me in the drowned city. Don't put me underwater. Because you know what, guys? There's really big sharks that live there. Huge mammoth sharks <sighs> that have just been dominating the ocean for centuries. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real concern. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm going to. Even though there are bears in the neighborhood, you know. Bears or sharks? I feel like bears this or is sharks? A you this, is a, this, is, this is a different would you rather <laughs> question. Yeah. Bears or sharks? If, if, terrain, if Terrain's able to take care of the bear, however accidentally and fortunately, like, Terrain would not be able to kill one of those sharks. So I think you have to choose a shark. Or you have to choose a bear as what to fight against. Yeah. No, you see, I think it'd probably be easier to take a shark down because you hit it on the nose and you, you push it backwards, it'll drown. Oh. A bear is a lot more dangerous. Yeah, it's true. And the bears there would be pretty mighty too because they, you know, the grizzlies that used to be in California were just like monsters. So Exactly. And this is definitely not an ultra bear we're fighting. Oh my God, I can't wait to talk about ultra bears. Just (laughs) That's my favorite thing. That's my favorite thing about about this book is the ultra bears. (laughs) I love it so much. I love that you love the ultra bears because I do too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god i love them okay next question would you rather live on mountaintop or down below yeah so absolutely for me so 
I'm fascinated by mountaintop. I would love to explore it. I'd love to see it. Really, really would love to. But to live there, I would want to live down below. It feels so constrained at the top of mountaintop. It feels so monochrome to me, kind of like not much water. Not You know, it's just like a tough life, I think, up there, where down mm-hmm. below is the world, you know, and it's dangerous. Well, I mean, so you would definitely say it's a lot more dangerous down below because it is, but it's Mm -hmm. also much more alive. And so I think I would hope that I could survive there and thrive. Like I'd want to be down below. No question. The way I feel about it. Look, that's where the garlic is. (laughs) No, it's so true. (laughs) That is where the garlic is. That's what I'm picking. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm picking based on the garlic. And the, yeah. the garlic See, alone. The mixers are there, you know? <laughs> the mixers! My mixer is there! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, down down below, it's just, uh, I have a definitely an inclination towards exploration. I'm not someone who wants to stay in one place, so, you know. I mean, it really, you could say that the whole book, in some ways, is inspired by that, because, you know, I grew up in a very small community um, where it was like, it's dangerous out there. Everyone stay here, stay safe. And, um, you know, that feeling of like jumping over the wall and seeing what's out there, seeing what's below the clouds is very intoxicating to me. So um, even though I know it is dangerous, but see at the same time, like even though it's dangerous, it's like Iceland wouldn't even know who she truly is if she didn't do that. So deep themes going on here but yeah going down below for sure okay yeah yeah thing is though i mean iceland's different she's come from the mountaintop to down below but if you grow up and down below you are aware of the dangers and it's like taught it's part the dangers are in fact part of your culture and heritage that you learn to deal with them you learn to live with them you adapt around them whereas on the mountaintop you haven't adapted at all you've closeted yourself in Mm. yeah and is that necessarily a good thing i would say that it's probably not (laughs) you know yeah mixes garlic and adventure the whole yeah like yeah and not poisoned water (laughs) (laughs) trinity (laughs) also could you imagine like having lived down below and you know you've aspired for your entire life, your entire very long life to get to mountaintop. And then you get up there and you're like, damn, yeah. okay, never mind. I know. So <laughs> mountaintop feels like the type of place where you have to take your shoes off before you're allowed in. And, you know, there's coasters everywhere to make sure that your cup doesn't leave a, a ring. You know, it, it almost cu- like it's a show sofas, The sofas are covered in plastic. Yes. You're not yes. allowed to be comfortable there at all. No, not at all. Every There's so much that's for sure. And it's like, no, this is our good china. This is These are our good tea towels. We don't use those. <laughs> I love it. And the toilet rolls, not that they would have toilet rolls, but they would have like covers over them mm-hmm. you know, to, to decorate them. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very proper there. Yes. You can't even sing. You're not allowed to sing. And look, I can't sing very well, but I don't want to not be able to. <laughs> oh, I was driving around today and piping out those tunes with the window open on the car, and I cannot sing a tune, as we have demonstrated. Thank you, Constance. Britney Spears. But I'll still do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, the idea of a society outlawing singing is uh, 
that's one of the worst things probably that they can do because and I know you know and physical touch and you know but it's just it's basically as I see it mountaintop is really trying to separate itself out from anything that's like remotely animalistic about being a human you know then so absolutely but but a lot of the fun things about being human are some of the more physical you know I, you know those are the those are some the, the making people so unhuman though they're taking all the yeah. stuff to make you like to define humanity but they're taking everything out and then creating something new and it's that's not what humans are you've got to have that impulsiveness and that creativity in that mess yeah yeah absolutely i agree with you and um yeah, I mean, it's interesting. When you do read the second book, you see that all of those decisions that Mountaintop made early on that make them who they are now were all kind of born out of a very specific heartache and regret. So you'll see. It's, 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 um, but it does. It makes them, their life is like not really completely worth living in some ways, I would say, because of it. Okay, so is this over so I can go start book two? Wait, no, no, it's not. We still one have more, lots more to go. One more. <laughs> no, we've, we've got way more questions to go. Oh, we're here for a while. We are. Last, last would you rather. Would you rather be Crothis or Unagwin? So th- this is such a good question. Because at first I thought, um, obviously, Unagwin, right? I thought that at first. But then I thought, you know, kind of with what you were just saying, like, imagine you grow up your whole life just wanting to get to this place that you think is paradise with a person that you think loves you. And then you get there and it's just not what you thought it would be. And that person's not even there. Uh, Yeah. That's a lot of heartache. Like, I think the Onagwin life is really painful. And the Crothis life is like, they've accepted that they don't have a God that cares for them or heaven to go to. But because of that, they can kind of like spread out and live life um, on its terms. So it's a little difficult, I think. I think it's hard to choose between like, do you have the hope and the faith that there is something better and that there is a love that, that you can aspire to and you kind of are energized by that. But then when you get there, it's gone. It's doesn't. It's not what you thought it was. Although in some ways it is whatever with 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 you still have Iceland, which is what it is. Um, or are you going to be a Crothis, where you get to kind of be god of your own destiny? Um, I actually don't know if there's a great answer to that. I feel like that's one of the like human essential like uh, struggles of being human. Like you have to solve that in your life almost all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I was raised in a very religious community and I haven't like, I mean, even though I've kind of like wrestled with that my entire life and don't, and I'm not part of that community anymore, I'm, I haven't completely walked away from it either. So I think I'm partial to, well, I haven't completely walked away from the idea of faith. I think I'm a little partial to Omathis and the Onagwen, but um there's a part of me that would really enjoy just being a Crothis and just living that life. Oh boy, I'm really not even answering your question. I think I'm going to pick An- Onagwen, but it's not an easy one, obviously, as I have demonstrated. <laughs> See, now, based on your answer, I'm being Crothis because they they have their own stuff going on. And Amp, you know, he he gets like really violently betrayed there at the end with uh yeah. with the 
canisters of poison. Um, but yeah, you put but, it so um, nicely, <laughs> right? Like you know, he's 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 they made it up there, and he's like he's being soothed, and he realizes, oh, you know, maybe maybe it's not so bad, and then they're all poisoned. So um, I think like he had. He was a he was a good leader to his people, as violent as they they might have been, and you know what they were doing. But they had families. Mm-hmm. They they grew. They learned. They learned to poison people. Um, yeah, they did. They did. They yeah. so. I mean, I think I think that's that's what I want to be. And also, like I always choose the villain if I can. And you know there there are multiple villainous people in this one but you know they're kind of the bad guys for a lot of it so yeah it's not about it and so you're going to really enjoy the second book i'll just tell you that like i can i mean answers. i'm already you're, excited yeah, so you're really it's just getting better every time book. um i love amparis and like i have so much sympathy for that guy so yeah and you're not making the wrong decision for sure Thanks. Good. <laughs> I feel validated. Yeah. I was going to say, you, you feel better. You were, you were just waiting for that proclamation, so I felt like I had to make it. Didn't want to make it wait any longer. You know. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. I needed it. <laughs> Someone has finally validated my need to be a villain. <laughs> I mean, villains are almost always the more interesting character. Um, they really, they really are. are. It just means you'll have an excellent backstory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and he lived through some crap, okay? Yeah, and yeah, he really did. I mean, and Paris, and he, no, I'm excited about you. I'm excited to talk to you after you've read the second book because um, he, you learn more about what he's been through and you learn more about what he's going to go through. And it's just like, and Paris is such a sympathetic character. I love the guy. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I chose what I chose. Yeah, me too. Get ready for me to like message you on all social media, like, oh my god, I just got to this page and this is happening. So just get ready. I'm for ready it. for it. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> now that you're part of our family, that's what you get. Yeah. Well, that's what that's infinite stalking. We message each other on social media all the time, so I'll, I'll fit right in. Okay. Good. Good. Claire, what are you doing here? Uh, same as you. I'm okay. More inclined towards the villainy in this piece than. In- yeah, it just seems more interesting to be a Crothus than any other because, yeah, just exactly what you're saying, just reiterating what you're saying. And to be fair to you, Jason, you sold me. So thanks for that sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, also, you know, if I if I get up there and I'm and I'm up on mountaintop and I'm you know having a battle, if I just accidentally got to rip Trenton in half, I'd be okay with it. Of course. Oops. The, the Accidents be, happen. The world would be better off. I, yeah. So I think it's interesting because I I actually think Trenton is a villain that nobody likes, in my opinion, so far at least. And and, and like I do think that like Amparis is a villain that you can very easily like, but Trenton is one that's yeah. just like. I just think he's awful, you know? He's too, anyway. I don't think anybody would be um, upset to see Trenton ripped in pieces. No, no, not at all. Oh, are, God, I cannot believe. They're exactly the kind of people that live to be like 95 years old. So um, that's just the way it is. I'm thinking bear or shark. Yeah, yeah. Let the let yeah. decide between the two of them. But uh, 
Tran does not die early, unfortunately. He's a, he, Come on. He sticks <laughs> we need to rewrite. <laughs> yeah, rewrite. We do. We <laughs> Just send we... out some errata. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, page one, of... chapter one. <laughs> this happens. Please continue with the rest of the give me, story. Give me some notes. I'll, I'll give you a, a customized version. <laughs> That's what we need. That is really Alternate what we need. What if universe? What if Tran dies on page one? Oh, it'd be so great. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, this is totally like probably completely wrong, but um, Tranton really gave me um, what's the guy? What's the like the smarmy, gross guy from um, Desolation of Smog? The guy who's like trying to sneak away with the women. What is his name? Um, it's like. Lick, oh, lick splittle or some. <laughs> who's that? That's that's Tranton in my head. That is who I imagine. No, the I've whole gone, time. He's I've just gone like to some... the rings, not not the Hobbit. No, he's he's just like some sleazy, gross guy who just oozes out of the corners and tries to undermine people. That's him. Grimy that's him in my head. Grimy worm tongue is also another. Worm tongue. Is... Yeah, yeah, that's fine too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in my mind, Tranton is just like. A completely self-interested adult who convinces himself he's never wrong and everyone else you know he's just one of those people that you meet like actually Tranton for me is based more on people that I know but people that like never take responsibility and they're kind of maddening to even talk about because like to talk to because the more you talk to them you're like wait am I the crazy one here no no you're you're not doing the right thing so no, you're actually awful. Yeah, no. yeah, but like he can almost convince you like, oh, maybe I'm making all this up in my head. And that's like kind of the thing he does with Iceland where he's just like always trying to like make her feel like, no, what are you even talking about? There's nothing wrong here. And she knows that there is. And he's just, I feel like he um, starts in a place of kind of weak, even though he, but then he, tastes some amount of power and he, it becomes intoxicating to him so he tries to grow it and grow it but I don't really like and this isn't I don't I don't feel like this is a flaw in the writing or anything but I don't like Tranton at all um and I feel like I have enough villains quote-unquote villains that I do really like um but Tranton is someone that I just really but but I think he's authentic to a lot of people that I feel like I've interacted with so that's why you know he, he and Nicholas both are just characters that i cannot stand but oh man nicholas is such a spineless wiener i can't i couldn't he's the worst he's the worst (laughs) but that like that that's a that's a sign of a good writer that you can write someone that people hate so much and not even like hate in a way that they love like hannibal lecter it's like no you just right you just hate them you just hate them yep exactly see i like those well see i like those characters but i like feeling that when i'm reading a book i like to hit if i want if i'm gonna hate somebody i like to just straight up hate them i don't want to have sympathy for them i don't want them to have a redemption yeah i hate one of the worst things for me in a book is where they have this horrible bad guy that you hit and hit and hit and they're like oh well he's got these reasonable excuses for being this horrible and now we're going to give him a redemption story. I'm like, no, yeah. I just want to hate the guy. No, exactly. I agree with you. Um, and I I don't want to speak badly of it, but like, <laughs> I, I wasn't crazy about the uh, 
prequel to Hunger Games stuff for that reason. It's like, I just want to hate presents. <laughs> oh, you should hear our episode. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, that is one of the books that we have covered that we both legitimately hated. Yeah. Normally, like, you know, there might be something that we find that we don't really like, but we're able to pluck out things that we do enjoy and, you know, actually have a good conversation about it but my gosh did we hate that book i just don't even understand i i don't know I, it's like i i really don't like speaking badly of other writers and i think suzanne collins is wildly talented like i love the hunger games books but that choice of just taking snow and making i just don't even understand why why do it because we already know how the story ends you know what i mean it's like right if you wanted to tell this story differently the time's passed for that now i don't know i just I don't want to get into it, but uh, yeah, I think this, yeah. this is sounding a lot like the stuff that we've said. Yeah. So I think we're gonna we have similar um, the same the, the same thought processes on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I yeah. think I think it's important to point out like not everybody gets redeemed. Like some people are just awful all the way through, yeah. and then they die, and that's just the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they're trying to instigate a nature nurture debate, and some people are nasty by nature they're just nasty they're not taught to be nasty they're just nasty and don't you you can't give excuses i mean there's a lot of behavior that takes place that is nurture but it's given a lot of excuses stop giving excuses it's not the case just let people be well fictional characters be evil yes like don't let real people be evil try to fix that but real Garbage people need to stop being garbage people, but fictional right. garbage people can stay in the trash. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. We don't need to redeem everybody. Exactly. No. We really don't. It's like not every book needs <laughs> okay. a romance either. That's the, ooh. Hot take on that one. <laughs> <laughs> every book doesn't need a what? A romance. I was talking to somebody oh. once and they were saying, what's the worst trope? I was like, shoehorned romance because not every book mm. needs a romance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I thought you I thought you said, because you cut out, I didn't get to hear what you said. And so I thought you said what I always say is that not every book has to have a happy ending. Oh, God, no. Which I, is also I like true. miserable like, endings as well. Yes. Everybody dies. Oh. Yeah. Sad yeah. face. Give me that. <laughs> no, I agree. I like it. <laughs> okay. Wow. What an, what an ending to Would You Rather. That was... That was great. It was powerful. It was a powerful ending. We learned some interesting mm. things. It was deep. Yeah. But there were also ultra bears, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness you said that. <laughs> it was really interesting, though. To it was it was a good. Would you rather? Yeah, really it good. was very detailed, and I liked that. Yeah. Like, Full justification, almost with like you know citations, and you know really well thought out, and give us a lot of insight into the characters and the world, and you know it it was and ridiculousness with ultra bears. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was very very good. Thank you, Jason, for joining us. Yeah, really. Everyone, make sure so- you go listen to the bonus episode because there's a lot of. There's a lot of really good quality conversation. Yeah, it puts a lot of meat to the bones. It really does. Yeah. There was still some ridiculousness thrown in. 
we can't we cannot be ridiculous and sorry but not at the same time nah it's a sorry not sorry situation right okay favorite final thought quote um i've only got one this week okay um yeah life is exactly what it is and nothing more wow substantial yeah i thought it was tight yeah i've got two and one it one is a one for fun okay the first one though you can't stop a storm you can only clean up the aftermath Ooh, ooh, i like that one yeah So then my one for one my one for fun is it's like stumbling across a bird casually brewing a kettle of tea or a fish reading a book and taking notes only much worse <laughs> because tea and book reading while curious are nowhere near as bad as plotting to kill an entire species with venom collected in jars <laughs> Isn't it so good? That's perfect. I love it. It's my favorite. Absolutely perfect. And you qualify for a chef's kiss for plucking that one out. Right. And that is like a really good example of just the pure sarcasm in this book, but also like the terribleness with meaning and like hilarity at the same time. Yes. That quote has garlic in it. it and if you does. want to get that reference, you need to go and listen to the bonus. Go and listen to the bonus episode. Okay. If you liked this, try this. What have you got? Um, I I plucked out The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. This is also a movie and I believe that's on Netflix. I have seen the movie as mm. well. Um, which was, I enjoyed it. Um, the summary from Goodreads is, Melanie is a very special girl. Dr. Cadwell calls her our little genius. Every morning, Melanie waits in her cell to be collected for class. When they come for her, Sergeant Parks keeps his gun pointing at her while two of his people strap her into the wheelchair. She thinks they don't like her. She jokes that she won't bite. They don't laugh. Melanie loves school. She loves learning about spelling and sums in the world outside the classroom and the children's cells. She tells her favourite teacher all the things she'll do when she grows up. Melanie doesn't know why this makes Miss Justin look sad. Oh. I love the fact that that summary tells you absolutely nothing, but it's a good tease to the book. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) What have you got? I went with The Gender Game by Bella Forrest. And you will see why I chose this one in the next three words. (laughs) (laughs) A toxic river. Ah, yes, I see, I see. (laughs) A toxic river divides 19-year-old Violet Bates' world by gender. Women rule the East. Men rule the West. Welcome to the lands of Matras and Patras. 
Ever since the disappearance of her beloved younger brother, Violet's life has been consumed by an anger she struggles to control. Already a prisoner to her own nation, she now has been sentenced to death for her crimes. But one decision could save her life. To enter the kingdom of Patras, where men rule and women submit. Everything about the patriarchy is dangerous for a rebellious girl like Violet. She cannot break the rules if she wishes to stay alive. But abiding by rules has never been Violet's strong suit. When she's thrust into more danger than she could have ever predicted, Violet is forced to sacrifice many things in the Forbidden Kingdom, including forbidden love. In a world divided by gender, only the strongest survive. Ooh. Sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Toxic River. (laughs) Do we have an indie spotlight this week? Yes. Yes, we do, as a matter of fact. Um, This one is called City of Shattered Light by Claire Wynne. As darkness closes in on the City of Shattered Light, an heiress and an outlaw must decide whether to fend for themselves or fight for each other. As heiress to a powerful tech empire, 17-year-old Asa Almeida strives to prove she's more than her manipulative father's shadow. But when he uploads her rebellious sister's mind to an experimental brain, Asa will do anything to save her sister from reprogramming, including fleeing her predetermined future with her sister's digitized mind in tow. With a bounty on her head and a rogue AI hunting her, Asa's getaway ship crash lands in the worst possible place. The neon-drenched outlaw paradise, Requiem. Gunslinging smuggler Riven Hawthorne is determined to claw her way up Requiem's underworld hierarchy. A runaway rich girl is exactly the bounty Riven needs, until a nasty computer virus spreads in Asa's wake causing a citywide blackout and tech quarantine. To get the payout for Asa and save Requiem from the monster in its circuits, Riven must team up with her captive. Riven breaks skulls the way Asa breaks circuits, but their opponent is unlike anything they've ever seen. The AI exploits the girl's darkest memories and deepest secrets, threatening to shatter the fragile alliance they're both depending on. As one of Requiem's 154-hour nights grows darker, the girls must decide whether to fend for themselves or fight for each other before Riven's city and Ace's sister are snuffed out forever. Ooh. Does that sound like so much fun? (laughs) I like the snuffing out part. I just love the phrase, snuff it out. Yeah. All right. Well... That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss The Indigo Spell by Rochelle Mead. Yay! <laughs> Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. Or bluck. Or bluck.
at fictionalhangover.com follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover and on Twitter at fictionalhangover no ER if you'd like this episode check out our others and rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out and finally special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music you can find her on Facebook and Patreon thanks for listening <laughs>